Tonight's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the feed, give them five stars, write a nice review for Dr. Stu's Podcast, or you can listen right here, right off the website. You can check the blogs, you can watch the YouTube videos. I'm Brian Whitman, along with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, who is an OB. G-Y-N. He's a lot smarter than me. He's a doctor and I'm just a regular guy. And that sort of makes the podcast fun, I think. <laughs> Brian, you're so funny. <laughs> well, I'm just telling could, the truth. I couldn't hold a candle to what, what you do. Oh, I, I, could, I could never do what you do. You have such a wide a variation of knowledge and I'm so limited. <laughs> oh, that's not true. I'm a radio guy. So that's why I guess that's my purpose here, right? I'm a radio guy and you're a guy with so much passion. Our friend, uh, Patricia Grubay, asked me uh, last week when she was on Dr. Stu's podcast, she said, how did this happen? And pointing to me like, how right. yeah, I said, well, I've known Stu uh, for 15 years. I said, and I love him and he loves me and we're friends. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, breakfast every once in a while, lunch, and we were talking about home birthing and we were talking about medicine and the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And the passion that I saw from you as a doctor intrigued me and I thought, this is a worthy podcast. And people say to me all the time, I mentioned it on our last podcast, Lucky Number 13, that people say all the time, hey, I've been a patient my whole life, but I never get to hear the doctor's side of things. And this podcast is the doctor's side of things for sure. Sure. Yeah, well, you get to hear um, my take on things. And then, of course, we have our guests on, on who give us uh, insight and added perspective on things. But today, today, Brian, you know, I really uh, there's been a story in the news now for the last month or so about uh, the risk of home birth, uh, having a, a higher risk of stillbirth mm. at home. And um, it came out as a press release. And I think I might have commented on a previous podcast that it's bad science and bad form for true scientists to put out a press release about a paper that hasn't been yet, yet published. Yeah, I'll read a bit from abcnews.com. Here's the headline. Uh, risk of stillbirth is 10 times higher for babies born at home, study finds. And this is dated September 17th, 2013, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, very quickly, I'll quote some of the uh, article. For many women, a home birth seems like the most natural way to have a baby. But new research published in the October issue of the American Journal of obstetrics and gynecology suggests it can be a risky proposition. There's the fear right there. In, this, in the largest study of its kind, investigators at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center, I hope I'm saying it correctly, in my hometown, New York City, reviewed data from a sampling of 13 million of the nearly 17 million singleton full-term births in the U.S. between 2004 and 2007. These included births to parents of all races, ethnic groups, and income levels. Among their findings, and then we'll get Dr. Stu's reaction, babies born at home were nearly 10 times more likely to be stillborn, and the risk of stillbirth increased to 14 times for firstborns. Babies born at home were also almost four times more likely to experience neonatal seizures or serious neurologic dysfunction compared with babies born in hospitals. Dr. Stu, if I'm a guy sitting on the subway reading that uh, article, that scares the tar out of me. Yeah, and it should scare the tar out of you because that's what it's designed to do. And this is a problem. I'm going to try to remain calm while I try to talk about this because this irritates me so much. It's okay if you get upset. This press release was put out in early September uh, for a journal article that was going to come out in October. So again, here's a press release given to by Cornell University or by the researchers to the press who then just run with it. 
And of course, they interview the researchers who, who add substance to it. And if you read the rest of the uh, article, which is in many uh, major networks and newspapers, uh, they all talk about their, their, their paper as if everything in there is scientifically sound and accurate. There's nothing in there about the potential, the agenda that these people might have. I would I like to add that one of the authors of this paper is Frank Chervenak. Frank Chervenak, Chervenak is uh, a self-proclaimed ethicist mm-hmm. who is, I think, the, the head of the department at Cornell University. And he has had a personal, uh, not I wouldn't call it a vendetta, but a personal crusade. animus crusade against home birthing for years. And isn't it surprising that his school puts out a paper that happens to be very bad for for home birth. And again, they put it out by press release. There's so many things wrong with that press release because first of all, it isn't stillbirths that they were even measuring. Mm. They were measuring five-minute APGAR scores of zero. Mm. All right. Now, an APGAR score is a score that's given to babies when they're born uh, based on a, um, a scale that was made by a woman named Virginia APGAR way mm. back in the uh, middle of the, 19th, of the 20th century. Okay. And it gives two points for five different things. It gives two points for fetal breathing, fetal heart rate, fetal color, fetal tone, and fetal irritability. And so a perfect score is 10, and then you can get anything from a 10 down to a zero. Well, a a couple of things for you, Dr. Stu. Obviously, you're right. You read the headline, risk of stillbirth is 10 times higher for babies born at home, study finds. couple of things. First thing is that you're not entirely unrepresented in this piece. Wendy Gordon, I don't know if you know Wendy. Uh, She's a member of the Midwife Alliance of North America's Research Committee. She vehemently disagreed with the study's conclusions. She called them misleading. She said they didn't accurately represent what epidemiologists and birth certificate scholars have found within an enormous population of research over the past several decades. She says, and I'm quoting, birth certificates are good at capturing common outcomes of birth, but not rare outcomes like seizures and deaths, which are extremely rare. So you do get a little bit there from uh, Ms. Gordon, and she goes on to, to make even more of a case. And we will put this story up, by the way, at Dr. Stu's podcast, up on the website. We'll, well put the story up. And, and if you want to write, Dr. Stu, a reaction to it, we'll certainly put that up there as well. There are There are... A lot of ways to look at this at this story, okay? And what Wendy says is absolutely correct. There, you cannot look at at birth certificate data and know and and draw distinct conclusions from that. And before I even go further on that, you know, most of the recent studies that have come out of, about home birth, a Canadian study, a study from the Netherlands, have found just the opposite of this. So when you find that suddenly there's a study put out by people who might have a ideology that's against home birth. They're a little bit uh, overzealous sometimes against home birth. Perhaps a political and they come agenda? Out, Is and it perhaps come, a political agenda? I don't agenda? know if it's political. It's a social it agenda. could be economical or a, uh-huh. a, a, you know, medical industrial complex type thing. Right. Again, these are the 99 percenters who are attacking the one percenters. Mm. But when you see that sort of a ridiculous number of tenfold increase, mm. you have to think of two things. First of all, if it sounds incredibly odd, maybe it is. All right, because most studies either prove what common sense would dictate or they're wrong. And the second thing would be the danger of reporting relative risks. Uh, Ten times sounds like a huge number, but ten times a extremely small number is still an extremely small number. So if it's if it's one in a million and it's tenfold higher, it's only one in a hundred thousand, which is still a tiny small number. Now I'm just making up those numbers, but when you compare studies, you you have to look at this information and 
And this is not done, and especially it's not done in a press release. And, and even when the study comes out, which it's really it's just coming out this week. And the press release comes out, of course, long before the article. And the damage is done. Right. When someone reads a headline that says, risk of stillbirth 10 times higher for babies born at home, it doesn't matter if it's refuted uh, uh, a month later. I'll tell it, you something. It, you know what, Stuart? It doesn't even matter if it's refuted uh, way down in the article. I was talking to Jennifer Horn, a friend of mine who is a great broadcaster in her own right and is a uh, was a journalism student. And she was taught as a journalism student, print journalism, people will read the first three paragraphs and then you're going to lose them right. after the first three paragraphs. And, and you and I just a moment ago read... Actually, exactly the first three paragraphs of this report, and we didn't go any further. Yeah, Wendy Gordon's comments are farther down. Right, wait, next second page. Correct. I mean, if you think back to 20 or 30 years ago, there was a uh, two, two researchers at the University of Utah or somewhere in Utah, they came out with something called cold fusion. And they put out a press release, and they had press conferences, and they were on the cover of Time magazine, and think this is going to be the greatest thing. You're going to have a cold fusion toaster. It's not going to cost you any electricity, blah, blah, blah. Well, then, the, then they published the study, and it was immediately slammed and, and, and disproved. But nonetheless, for the, they had their moments of fame, and they got their name out there. Mm. And you know that's a little different because that was something that was easily disproved. This is something where the debate is going to go on and on and on and on. And they're going to use this, anybody who argues against home birth, especially ethicists like Frank Chervenak, mm. who are going to come out and say that the ethical responsibility of a physician is to discourage mm. a woman from having a home birth even though it violates the basic tenet of ethics, which is beneficence-based ethics. We are talking here on Dr. Stu's podcast about this report. It's at ABC News. It's in other places. It's been picked up internationally. Uh, the headline is, Risk of Stillbirth is 10 Times Higher for Babies Born at Home Study Finds. If you haven't seen that article, we're going to put a link to it up at drstuespodcast.com so you can familiarize yourself with the article and appreciate the points that Dr. Stu is making here uh, about uh, potential inaccuracies and about the way the deck is stacked. Let me ask you very quickly, because I know you have a lot to say about this. Uh, we have had conversations on your podcast uh, in previous episodes about how only 1% of babies are born at home and 99% are born at the hospital. So let's, let's look at those numbers. When only 1% of babies are born at home and 99 out of 100 families choose the hospital, wow, you guys are really the little engine that could, and to really to build momentum when the deck is when the deck is so stacked against you to rebut something this bombastic is tough, Stuart. Well, it, it is tough, and the, and the difference is is that those people want to crush the home birthing industry. The home birthing industry isn't anti-hospital. All right, there's a big difference. We're not trying to t tell people that hospitals are the devil. They are trying to tell home birthing people, that they're idiots, that it's unsafe, that they don't care people about their that babies. support that are, are, yeah, they don't care about their babies. Or that don't care the enough devil. about their babies. Right. right. It's really, it's really a difference. It's, they're, they're bullies. And the, the whole point of what we try to do in the home birthing industry is give people true informed consent. It is quite reasonable under certain circumstances to have your baby at home. And for some women, it's the only choice they have. For instance, if they have a breach or a uh, VBAC and their local hospital doesn't allow that, and they don't have a choice to go anywhere else. I, so, like to, I like to remind people at this juncture sometimes when you are dealing with a client and a home birth is planned, when you have come to the medical conclusion that a hospital is necessary, you will send them right there. Correct. People, correct. people sometimes lose that in this conversation. Well, people think of when a, when a home birth needs to be transported to the hospital mm. – the tendency is to think that there must be an emergency, mm -hmm. which is rarely the case. Mm -hmm. It's almost always going in for 
exhaustion or pain relief or something of that nature. So it's not an emergency. It's going in for the same reasons that a woman would go in who's planning to go to the hospital. She's been contracting at home. She calls her doctor. Her doctor says, call me when they're five minutes apart for a couple of hours. She calls them back. She's really uncomfortable. She goes to the hospital and asks for her epidural. That's basically the same thing that most home birth transfers are. This is Dr. Stu's podcast, and uh, we are now just about a week out of Obamacare. Have you left your practice yet? Because I know a lot of doctors said they're going to walk off the job. You haven't left yet. No, and before before we get (laughs) off topic on that, I have not left my practice. Because you know I'm going to give you a hard time. But I am outside of the Obamacare system as it stands right now anyway. Fully and completely? I I don't work at a hospital. I don't take insurance. Right. I, I don't, and I don't have electronic medical records. Right. And I have no intention of doing those things the way my practice is now. Someday, if I decide that I want to get into teaching and I want to, you know, I may go back and work at a university. You'd yeah, be, I'm going to have to do some of those things. Dr. Stu, you'd be a great teacher. Well, you, I know you were. Yeah, I would love to be yeah. a teacher of medical students and residents and midwives and teach them some of the skills that make an obstetrician special. You mentioned very quickly, we talk about home birthing. That is sort of the anchor of this show. That is This is Dr. Stu's passion. But you mentioned the electronic medical records. We talked about it months ago. Um, forgive my utter ignorance. Is it mandated that uh, medical records have to be electronic and you're bucking the system or is it an option? If you are going to bill insurance or if you are going to work with one of the insurance exchanges, that sort of thing, uh, yeah, you're going to have to have electronic medical records. The insurance companies will not take paper records after a certain date. It's coming up, I think, in a year or two. Isn't it interesting? We're talking a little politics now with the NSA and the way they have uh, sort of violated oh, people's God. privacy that that we, uh, no, really, that, that we would have uh, a whole uh, nice large group of Americans ready to surrender to electronic medical records that can be sent around and about to this guy and that guy and her and him. Uh, well, where's go- our privacy it's, anymore? It's, it's going to be monitored by the Internal Revenue Service. Huh. You are going to have to give your... When you sign up to for an insurance exchange, I heard this uh, this morning on the news because I was paying attention because right. Right. today the the exchanges are supposed to kick in. Right. And you're going to have to give them your social security number. You're going to have to give them your bank account information, even though they're not ready to check your income. You know, all the subsidies and stuff like that are based on your income level. So they're going to have to have the check. You're going to give them all this information and it's going to be online someplace. And does anyone really believe that it will really be secure? I, I certainly don't. I thought of you today, Dr. Stu, because I was driving with a friend of mine, and uh, he does not have health insurance. He's been laid off for some time, and he doesn't have health insurance. And and he, he was kind of funny. He doesn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the news. It's funny that I'm a really good friend of his, and I'm a talk show host. And and he says, uh, he says oh, so I could get Obamacare today. So then he talks into his iPhone. He goes, how do I get Obamacare? You know, I thought of you. You'd be, oh, I'd have to. Peel, how does Siri answer that? Right. I'd have to. You're right. You know how Siri answered that? Siri probably was. Uh, she was. Uh, you know what she said? You might want to bring your gun for that neighborhood. I don't know what that means. You might want to bring your gun. But, uh, you know, some, Siri is good because she'll let you know if you're in a bad neighborhood. When you enter that city, lock your doors. Yeah. No, but my friend asked, you know, how do I get signed up for Obamacare? And she said. Wild. Yeah, she thought it was pretty wild. And he asked her, should I get Obamacare? She said. No. He said, well, what if I get sick? She said, well, then. Maybe. Okay. Goodbye. See you, Siri. <laughs> so, Dr. Stu, it was interesting uh, w- when President Obama makes the point, hey, look, for the cost of a cell phone, my cell phone bill, I have to pay it by Friday. It's $119.99. If I could get pretty decent insurance for $119.99 a month, I'd do it. Now, I have, I have good insurance. I have good insurance through my employer here, but my deductibles are way too high. I only have insurance, heaven forbid I got hit by the metro. If something catastrophic and I, you know, God, 
really, heaven forbid, then I have insurance if I have to be in the hospital for six months. Right. Know? Brian, a, sim a simple question in consumerism, and you're a smart guy. If you see two billboards, one billboard offering LASIK surgery for $2,000 and one offering it for $299, mm -hmm. where are you going? Can I answer? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. No, you can't answer. No. No, 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 my answer might surprise you. I am going to call both of them because I am going to have a fear that the guy who's doing it for two ninety nine, these are my eyes, yes. might be cutting corners, and maybe I want to pay the two grand because these are the only eyes I have. Yes, yeah. that's fair. That's that's what I'm saying. So you know, when you think you can, I don't know that you can get insurance for one hundred nineteen dollars. That's not what I'm hearing. Uh, and and when it gets back, by the way, getting back to the information issue because you did bring that up. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I'd like to say about that study that is full of flaws yeah. is that they're basing it on birth certificate information. Now, I've been filling out birth certificates for over 30 years. Wow. I can tell you birth certificates don't have that much information on them. They don't have whether the, the birth was actually planned mm. or unplanned mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. They don't have on there whether the baby died prior to birth. I mean, what if a woman finds out that she has a stillbirth? And decides to just, you know what, I don't want to go to the hospital. I just want to go home and have my baby. That counts as a home stillbirth. Is that fair to count that as a mm -hmm. negative for women that decide to give birth at home? I mean, when you're looking at APGAR scores of, at five minutes of zero, you're talking about babies possibly born that are have anomalies incompatible with life. You're talking about babies that are born extremely premature. Mm -hmm. Babies, you know, you, I mean, as sad as it is, you hear about young women who don't really know they're pregnant, who a 22-week fetus falls out in the toilet. That's counted as a stillbirth at home. This is not fair to compare that to what goes on in a hospital. But when you take, uh, when you do study by press release, this information isn't given out there. It's really unfair. It's really misleading. And for an ethicist like Dr. Chervenak mm. to do this, mm. you know, smacks a little bit of being unethical, don't well, you think? Yeah, I, I do, and you need to respond to him. I mean, uh, you have well, right I, here. Yeah, I got 400 words. That's it. Okay, but you know what you can do? Copy and link this podcast. Get his email address. I bet he listens to every word. Uh, well, okay. Okay, you know, that's not bad. Speaking of Obamacare <laughs> here on Dr. Stu's podcast, Greenville, South Carolina is where CNN reports, and they write about Lauren Zanardelli and Graham Foster are the kind of customers the government needs to make Obamacare work. What, this are, they, what are they, three years old? I don't know. I think they're older than that. Oh, okay. They're chefs. They own and operate. They're young people. They're healthy. Right. They own and operate a bright orange hipster magnet called the New Southern Food Truck. I hope I'm saying it right. The farm-to-table vehicle stands out in Greenville, South Carolina, even among the new gastro pubs that dot the city's charming Main Street. The the, the two folks, Zanner Deli and Foster, are zooming around their rented kitchen on the edge of town, preparing deep-fried Brussels sprouts and, and whatnot. Uh, they won't have time. They won't have time after their 12-hour workday to explore the new health insurance marketplaces that opened this week. But they look forward to seeing what Obamacare can offer them. And that's good news for health care insurance companies. They say young and fit people like these two have to buy into the system to support the law's mandate that all people must have health insurance next year. I've made this point in the past, that if you're going to have this influx of new customers previously uninsured, doesn't that stimulate the medical economy? Well, again... It, it may stimulate the insurance business, but it's not necessarily going to stimulate the medical economy for doctors because they're not consumers of healthcare. They're consumers of insurance, but they're not, they're not spending money at the doctor's office. Where, how's a doctor going to benefit from a 20 year old or 25 year old who doesn't come in? Mm. Right. Uh, right. I mean, he doesn't make any money off that person. These people are supporting my dad who just had his pacemaker put in. Right. And that, I hope he's well. I'm yeah, sure he is. That's, yeah. that's what they're supporting. They're not, uh, 
And that's why Obama needs to have all these people in there. The system is completely top heavy, especially as the baby boomers now reach into the 50s and 60s and and approaching retirement age. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be enough workers and people paying in. So they need these people. But the problem is there's no penalty for these the, 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 the penalty for these people not buying insurance, these young people is minimal. So why would they pay more money to buy insurance when they can, if they get sick, they can buy it because there's no pre-existing clause. One of our recent podcasts was titled Dr. Stu's podcast. They don't make doctors like you anymore. And uh, that was uh, Patricia Grubay, I believe, who said that to Dr. Stu. So we made that the title because we thought it was telling and interesting and, and kind of provocative. Well, uh, Dr. Stu is the kind of guy, uh, a, a, uh, a female, uh, not a patient, but a client will, will be with him. She's pregnant and she'll have a question like about Obamacare. And you're the kind of doctor who will sit there and you'll start to Google this and try to find the answer because you've said to me privately, you don't know all the answers to this monstrosity of this bill. Nancy Pelosi hasn't even read it. How can every physician and certainly every patient know the uh, idiosyncrasies of Obamacare? So they have um, here on one report sort of uh, some terms that you have to be aware of if you're going to be working in the Obamacare system. You're frightening me. Uh, I, can, I can see that gleam in your eye. Now, What's coming? Well, you know this, like deductible, the amount you owe before your health insurance benefits kick in, right? Uh, co-pay, co-insurance. What's co-insurance? It means you might have more than one ins- uh, insurance. Oh, that's nice when you have two. I had Like medic- people sometimes have Medicare and then they have a secondary, I believe. An out-of-pocket is. maximum? That means they can you, you can only pay so much out-of-pocket? Correct. I like that. A good liberal like me likes that. Right. But it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, so, so where does it come from? <laughs> right, okay, Dr. Stu. <laughs> so, Dr. Stu, if we hit an out-of-pocket maximum, say my out-of-pocket maximum is five grand, and I just have given you my last uh, dollar bill and I've hit $5,000, I've now reached my out-of-pocket maximum. Who picks up the tab Well, what you do, that? Brian, is you go into my backyard, and I have a ticket oak from StubHub, and I also have an insurance uh, pine tree where you can just pluck it off the pine tree, and there's the money to pay for your insurance oh. because it has to grow someplace. It's per- and it is no, on trees. No, all these all these things like the uh, like deductible. Deductible is defined as as every last penny you have before the insurance will kick in. Correct. Right. And like, what's an exchange? I mean, here we are, first week Obamacare. I don't know. I'm 41. I'm not dumb. I don't know what an exchange no, is. Nobody knows what an exchange is. And, and but you're a doctor. Yeah, but I'm not. An, I'm not an economist. <laughs> No, uh, oh God, <laughs> Brian. You know this, this. It it is absolutely so confusing. No, no one really understands that. And by the way, it gets back to the whole idea that health insurance has sort of been morphed into something that it was never meant to be. Health insurance, you know, like homeowners insurance or auto insurance, should pay for catastrophes. It should pay for bad things. But you know, according to Sandra Fluke and everybody else, it should pay for every little thing that you want, including your birth control pills. But that's not true. If you have homeowner's insurance, it doesn't pay for you to paint your house. And if you have auto insurance, it doesn't pay for an oil change. But but yeah, health insurance has got where you're supposed to pay for everything, mm. and it, it's not possible. the The ideal thing that people should do is they should find the largest possible deductible that they can theoretically afford. So if you have a five thousand or a ten thousand dollar deductible, mm. because if something bad happened, you could you could afford to come up with five thousand dollars. Then you're then you're lowering your monthly premium, and that's the way you should go. As we talk about Obamacare, Doctor Stu, I have a question for you. I've known you fifteen years. You've been my friend for that fifteen years, a long time, almost. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think so. I've never asked you this question, but I'm going to ask you now. You are fifty-seven. You're not supposed to tell people. My you've age. said it on the. You <laughs> yes. said it on your podcast. If you could go back in time, if you could go back uh, forty years. Yes. Okay. Knowing everything you know now, yes, 
would you choose still to be a physician? No. No. Easy answer. And what might you choose, have chosen? Uh, maybe a forest ranger, <laughs> a, a, a private pilot, um, an astronaut. What is it about? Oh, we don't have astronauts anymore. I forgot about right, that. Right, the Let's government see. shut down NASA. They shut that yeah, down, yeah. right, yeah. But, no, really and truly important question. Uh, you said no with a lot of conviction. You, right, you, know, you, you said it twice. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about uh, your livelihood is so... Um, I offensive. I have to tell you that I I'm very happy doing what I'm doing right now, but I would never have gotten to where I am right now had life circumstances not pushed me in this direction. But the average person coming out of medical school is never going to be able to do what uh, the experience what I and some of my older colleagues have experienced. I went into medicine to do good, but I also liked being a shepherd. And I don't want to be a sheep. And people going into medicine right now are being forced into being sheep and not shepherds. And so I would have picked a field where I could still remain a shepherd. I might have gone into the uh, the um, computer industry, the mm. software industry, mm. something. You know what I always tell my kids? I, I, I know it sounds sort of funny, but I tell my kids, I don't care what you guys do. Whatever you do, though, don't do anything that where you're licensed by the state to do it. Mm. So in other words, don't be a hairdresser, mm. all right? But you can work in Hollywood. You can be, you know, you can work in a restaurant. You could... Uh, create your own internet thing. But if you're licensed by the state, mm. the state has the ultimate control over your pubic hairs. Dr. Stu has two boys and a girl. I'm correct. Well, I have, I have three stepsons and a daughter. Three. Oh, or I'm my oldest, my oldest the one is I'm back in the New twins, York. Right? Yeah. I'm thinking the twins. Okay. Uh, do any of them want to be physicians? No. Okay. If your daughter, Maddie, came to you and said, Daddy, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pediatrician. I want to help babies. Yes. Would you try to talk her out of it? No. Why not? Because if it's, she, if because it's so she, terrible, why not? Because she already knows how I feel about it. She knows everything that you know because she hears me right. on a daily basis right. talk about it. Right. If she knew all, knowing all that, she wanted to do it anyway, I would support her 100%. Mm. Uh, but I would help guide her into a situation where she might be able to be a shepherd and not a sheep. Because my daughter is sort of like her dad. Yeah, right, she is. Right. <laughs> she's, a, yeah, right. She's, a, she's got a powerful personality, and she's a shepherd. I saw and, another, uh, that, very interesting. That's a, really, this podcast, it, it grows and grows, and we learn more about you, and it's interesting to me, and I hope, and I know it is, uh, to people who listen to Dr. Stu's podcast. At health.com, they have an interesting report. I want to make quick mention of it with you, get your feedback, because you talk all the time. You wrote a book called Fearless Pregnancy, uh, which deals a lot of, with stress and how moms are stressed out. Pregnant ladies are stressed to, to the max. And uh, the, the health.com article is called Stress Less, Offering Keys to a Calmer Existence, saying it's one of the greatest ironies of life. We're too frantically busy to deal with the stuff that makes us feel frantically busy. The to-dos that overwhelm us, the clutter that eats up our homes, the niggling personal and professional issues that preoccupy our minds. Tackling them might feel like a someday project, the kind you'll get around to when you have the time. Right. Is there, you know, it's not just for pregnant ladies, it's for everybody. No, I, look, at we, we are an overstressed society and we're, we're a, a, a soundbite society. Everything yeah. happens really quickly. And we're crisis-driven folks. Well, yeah, I mean, we're media-driven, crisis-driven, uh, uh, immediate gratification-driven. Uh, I would suggest what a, a brilliant man that happened to be the father of one of my old roommates when I was uh, re a resident— wrote once about getting outside 
and just enjoying nature and the and the pleasant sociability of absolutely doing nothing. Mm. Okay, the it's it's a fine thing to sometimes do nothing. Mm. Go outside, you know, you know, if you have a chance, move to Nova Scotia. All right. If you have I mean, that chance. <laughs> and really, I mean, I like it when you give um, medical advice or wellness advice that, that is away from, from home birthing. I mean, because to clear one's head, you know what I love to do? Here's what I love to do and I miss. Uh, in New York, we had sun showers all the time. I love sun showers. I love it when the sun's uh, bright, hot, or, or nice and warm, and and cold rain is falling on me, or warm rain. I love a sun shower. I get so peaceful. There's such a serenity yes. about it. And I've dealt with issues of peace and serenity a lot of my adult life, and I've struggled for it to find it. And uh, I like to go to lakes and see ducks and feed. I do this all by myself, and I do it at places all over Southern California. What are so, what, what are some things, especially for a mom, especially for a mom, or mom and dad or mom and her partner, they might want to find peace. They might want to de-stress. What is something easy, fun, not expensive that they can do to sort of clear that head? Well, turn off electronics, otherwise, uh, other than possibly music, snuggle with each other. Uh, you know, find some interest that you might like to do, whether it's uh, taking a yoga class together or taking a cooking class together or um, giving, uh, giving side-by-side massages. Mm. Um, if, you know, again, these are, some of these things cost money. There's certainly you don't have to spend any money. Just getting... An, a- an afternoon nap doesn't cost anything. No, an afternoon nap for a pregnant woman is great. Yeah. Uh, it, it really, it's really hard because everybody's busy, and especially if you've got a family or other kids, you can't do that. But taking time... Away from the hecticness. Don't relax by watching uh, the six o'clock news or Breaking Bad or Breaking Bad. Yeah, that doesn't right. relax you. That no, doesn't relax you. No, no, you. no. It, it, those yeah. sorts of things don't relax. Go see. Go go to the movies. If you want to go to the movies, go to the movies at the artsy fartsy theaters. Yeah, right. And see go, some of those crazy foreign. Go films. to the Lemley. Yeah, go to the Lemley theaters <laughs> right. or, or those movies and see and see it. I know. I saw. I saw a really sweet movie the other night, and I'm not. What, I don't promote movies yeah, what's, very what's well. Yeah, what's it called? It's called Enough Said. I heard about it. Is it any good? Yeah, it's with James Gandolfini. Yeah, oh, with, with Julia Louis Dreyfus. And, and Julia Louis Dreyfus. He's my favorite actor. I cried when he died. Yeah, I cried a few times when it, he died. It's, it's just you know what? It, for for those of us who are my age, mm-hmm. who have kids going ready to go off to college, yeah, who are divorced or separated, it was it was it was it was a poignant film, and it was really. It was realistic. It was it was good. It was you had a chuckle, but you also had a tear. It was. Uh, if you you're could, not pregnant, and if you are, take it easy on yourself. That's what I'm hearing. That's a, that's the that's the uh, is that the prognosis? Yeah. It, or is, is that the treatment? Plan? I would also another thing, especially living in Los Angeles, and again we have listeners all over the country, but living in Los Angeles, all over the know, world, don't plan to make too many chores or one day where you have to spend so much time in traffic. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now with the 405 under complete. And this weekend, it's going to be a nightmare. The five's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it's terrible. You know what? Plan local things around your own community. Don't plan to go anywhere. Don't overstress yourself with too much, too many things to do. It's great stuff. Dr. Stu's podcast. You can go to iTunes and subscribe right there on iTunes. Give them five stars, write a nice review, or just listen right here on the website, Dr. Stu's podcast. You'll see about here the website, the blogs. You can access them, the YouTube videos. It's all on here. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Stu at gmail.com. As always, it's wonderful to see you. Congratulations on number 14. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. You know, even reading a little, James, James Missioner, which uh, which mm-hmm. was for me, just one of the greatest things about learning about the world. I don't know if you know any of his books, but he wrote books like Centennial and mm-hmm. Alaska yes. and yes. all those books about different parts of the world. Uh, and um, you know, I find that you it takes you away. It mm-hmm. takes you away from you 
your normal life and and into a space where you can use your imagination. It's so interesting. When Draw, you, color, paint. Yeah, I love when you talk sing. about stuff like this. I love when you talk about pregnancy. Uh, but this stuff, this wellness Start stuff. a podcast. Yes. It's really good Start for stress. Start a podcast called Brian Whitman and Randy Wang, and we'll get you all hooked up, all right? <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Stu. All right, see you later. All right, for my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. This is Dr. Stu's podcast. Thanks for joining us.